Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Autism Everyday Podcast. We are your hosts, Swati and Geeta. Welcome back. So you guys know that we try to feature as many people as we can in the podcast to share their expert opinion and, you know, sort of spread awareness, spread evidence-based information. So on that note, today's episode is going to be quite the party. So Geeta, you are going to be featured in today's podcast and I have some questions for you. What? <laughs> Say that again. I have yes, questions I for you. <laughs> so yeah. So before we go on, if you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, here is some background. Um, Geeta is the founder of Weekend and she's been in the field forever and is undoubtedly the pioneer of evidence-based interventions for ASD in India. More recently, she co-founded the first act-based clinic in India that is run by behavior analysts, <coughs> co-founded with me. <laughs> okay, four jokes aside. But that's the boring textbook introduction. Here is my version of how I'd like to introduce her. Geeta is the real deal. Oh I repeat, God. the real deal. So enough said. Let's just dive right into it. I am so going to enjoy this. Are you ready? No, I'm not. <laughs> this, is, this is a surprise and I'm not ready for it. <laughs> All right. Okay, so uh, question one. What is the one thing that you wish differently for children with autism? That's, that's, that's a really big question. <laughs> it is, it is, isn't it? Well, um, I wish people, parents and professionals and therapists and everybody would understand them better, would make an effort to look at things from their perspective and, you know, really, really look at it as I'm here to enable this child rather mm -hmm. than I'm here to make this child better or to correct him right. or her. So. I mean, I wish we could start looking at things from their, their perspective, really. And I wish we would look at more therapies and more interventions and what they need, all from their, their perspective. It's a very, very different viewpoint, I'm sure. So their eyes versus our eyes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's beautiful. So what, in your opinion, causes autism? I know we've had this debate like <laughs> multiple times over, but this is for our listeners. So what do you think causes autism? Right. I mean, and I think this is a question which uh, every parent asks us um, during the first consultation because there is always that puzzled look on their faces like mm. there's nobody else in my in our families in both our families extended families in fact we've never heard of this thing called autism um, there's nobody who has any kind of um, yes, there are some people who had speech delays, but then you know how it is. Uh, my mother said that, you know, my husband spoke when uh, he was four or there's somebody else in the family who spoke when he was three and he's fine. I mean, he's, he's an engineer somewhere now and that's the only thing we've heard of. So what causes autism is something that many parents ask and honestly, the thing I think we tell them is wish we knew. Mm -hmm. Because it's something, um, the causes of it are so much up in the air. And um, while parents look to proximate causes like too much exposure to 
television devices as being the possible causes for autism or the fact that mom did not engage enough with the child stimulate the child um enough with conversations um i mean as we see it now there is so much more that goes into autism genetics then we have the broad autism phenotype where one parent or the other mm. possibly has some of these features which but not really enough to be you know diagnosed as autistic so what you're trying to say is like there is a parent who may meet some criteria but not all criteria not all criteria again it's it's a very it's a very gray zone because where what is the difference between personality type mm-hmm. and a deficit yeah that's true isn't it very hard to pin down if you don't have a diagnosis that is isn't it hard to pin down because sometimes you say yeah that's that's who this person is he is just He's, like he this he is like yeah. that mm. is it a personality type is it a deficit is it the broad autism phenotype that somewhere expresses itself as autism it's in in and some generation or the other it's it's still unknown still unknown but i think there are some patterns that we are beginning to see if you really again it's only looking back at families looking back at extended families that there would be something somewhere but then again it's so inconclusive and not yet scientific and evidence based but it is there out there yes have you spotted the phenotype in families in your practice yes <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's good to know because that helps research right so that's great Okay so has anything changed over the past two decades you know besides global warming traffic and the insane use of diapers <laughs> has anything really changed no really <laughs> i don't think so right um i think we just like to say different things but uh, we have remained the same have we ha- has anything changed significantly no I don't think so. You have any thoughts on this? Um Well, I think the availability of interventions has changed for sure. It has and maybe to some extent um the insane amount of resources like, you know, that's available online. Yeah. So, yeah, you probably have a point there. I mean, 20 years back we used to have dial up modems and very little information and that thing used to uh, you know crank itself into the um, world wide <laughs> web and there wasn't much available either not in on terms of online resources not in terms of books yeah. or not in terms of resource people mm-hmm. and um, that has definitely changed now uh, in terms of information yes particularly if you are a tech savvy english speaking person mm-hmm. there is a lot available out there but then having said that a lot of those are probably suspect uh, can put you into a zone of giving you too much information or information that may not be uh, absolutely valid and correct as and relevant to your particular child or to the particular case um yes there are a lot more resources available lot more centers lot more people yet some of the 
myths about autism some of the beliefs about autism continue to remain what they were you know this actually the same over the past two decades nothing, nothing has much changed. has changed because the starting point always seems to be the same thing and how the path evolves also depends on where the parent goes who they interact with who what kind of interventions do they choose what is available for them to choose sometimes there are geographical um, regions where there really isn't much available or you just have to take what is available and what is available may not necessarily be what is considered evidence based or scientific and let's face it culturally whatever is seen as scientific and evidence based is very it doesn't resonate with our culture in many ways and so there is a lot of resistance so you're saying there's a lot of mismatch between what yes. um the child needs or what the family needs and then what um is available and yes. then the whole yes. cultural barrier is to accepting bar- something yes yes which is why some of the older a uh, belief systems continue to remain strong because that is more culturally aligned right. than some of the more modern interventions because that seems to put parents into a zone of more responsibility more accountability than just sending the child to xyz um therapies and hope that he or she is going to get sorted out and and you know if i if i might add i think there's also an increase push for the child to become independent uh which is seen a lot as a western thing It's you know yeah. Yeah. the you know the child cleaning up after himself no or <laughs> making his own meal or you know sweeping the floor and no way <laughs> it's just not seen as something yes. that you know culturally a lot of indian families do, do yeah eating his own food mm-hmm. like if you ask a 3 year old or a 4 year old to eat on his own then many moms would feel like they would be yelled at for being <laughs> horrible moms if you don't have the time to feed your child why do you you're not even a good mother okay they clearly need to meet us <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's great so you know if if parents can really change something that they're currently doing if there was just one thing you know what would you say that one thing can be I I would say again go stand beside the child and look at the world from that side because when you're standing across the child it's your your perspective is very different from that of the child's perspective but if you stood by his side and looked in the same direction then you would probably understand the child a little better and realize and recognize what is it that this child needs versus what do i want for my child that's beautiful i think that's where we need to that's one big change that can happen that's beautiful with them yes yeah absolutely yeah so to paraphrase jerry seinfeld what is the deal with accreditation <laughs> <laughs> Why should a parent care about you know where their therapist studied or what their interventionist credentials are? <laughs> I know you love this question. I know, and something has come back to bite us and us. Oh, time over and time over and again. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that in our practice we often tell parents when they come for a consult is that you know wherever you go for intervention, please remember to check 
whether that person who is delivering a particular service or offers to deliver a particular service for your child is qualified, um, has the, the right credentials. Um, and of course, beyond all of that, is that person somebody with whom you are able to see eye to eye and you trust, right? And so having said that, I think one of the places where parents have often come and questioned us is asking us about our credentials and asking us why behavior analysis, why should I choose ABA over something else? And unfortunately, ABA is in a position in India where we often have to explain ourselves more um, mm -hmm. and people would accept some other therapies without question but we really have to go all the way out and try to tell them why ABA is what they need to be um, you know using for their child and why is That's it beneficial right. for their child yeah but I, it's so important because if you don't have the right credentials or if you don't have the right qualifications and you deliver a service then it's important to keep in mind that it's the child's future. Sadly, many parents do not abide by this. Mm -hmm. And there are all kinds of therapists. Yeah. Even within any, in any field. Yeah. But it's for you, the, for the parent to actually make an informed decision. And that's where many people probably make some errors. I think, you know, we've often heard this uh, line that, you know, I so-and-so practices ABA, but they're not a behavior analyst or oh, yes. they haven't, you know, they haven't been professionally trained in ABA. Yes. And I think that to me is akin to saying, you know, I practice medicine. I just haven't gone to med school. <laughs> you know, I'm not a doctor, but yeah, yeah. I can, I can give you your shots. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And this is something that, um, uh, for you, for a long time, um, you know, uh, ABA, at least when I was president of ABA India, was something that we discussed a lot about, has been discussed a lot about, but what do you actually do about it? What can you do? What is the, there is no legal recourse. You can only appeal to somebody's good sense. Of course, they are not going to listen to you. All you can do is educate parents and yeah. tell them that if somebody says we do behavior analysis or we do behavior modification as it's like uh, or oh, behavior therapy. therapy like what is behavior therapy? therapy right so you hear a lot of those things so the only thing that is where this the whole thing came in look for the credentials of the person and uh, yeah so there's nothing you can do about it but keep educating parents though it comes back to bite us it's okay. <laughs> Keep on at it. <laughs> Keep at it. Okay. So what's your message for professionals in the autism community? Like we're a big community. We have OTs, we have speech uh, pathologists or speech therapists. There are tons of special educators. We know some doctors. We have lots of doctors yes. helping people with autism. Yeah. So what is the one thing that you'd like to, for all of us really, yeah. to hear? Well, that's, I think, like we discussed earlier, it's, there's been a significant change in the last, you know, 10 years. Uh, so many professionals, be it doctors, speech pathologists, OTs, uh, who are really well equipped to understand autism, to deal with autism. Um, even even um, 
you know counselors because it's, that's a huge area right oh yeah when, i miss that yes yeah, counselors when, family so counselors yes. family counselors because when the doctor says oh diagnosis of autism and then what does a parent do with that how do they deal with what they see at that point as um, well i do i wouldn't say death sentence but they are confused what is it is it something short term is my child going to be okay in two years or just going to last a lifetime uh, will he go to school x number of questions and what did i do wrong so all of these while well, while well, you're seeing a lot of changes in all of these professions and more and more people getting into the field i think the one overwhelming message that we all need to to carry on and to be aware of is that we need to keep the child and the parents as the focus of of all our interactions with them because when we talk you know from a very high handed i know it all perspective then it puts the parent into a zone where they kind of they almost just blindly follow you mm-hmm. um you're not educating them you're not enabling them you're not empowering them and if we are all of us as professionals are not doing it for them and not you know beginning to look at things from that family's point of view then we are really not doing much for the community well said so the last question i'm saving the best for the last <laughs> what is your opinion on an inclusive education in the indian context <laughs> bear with me but if you could talk a little bit about the needs of children with asd in terms of education and i know this question is as broad as the spectrum itself and that the answer cannot be generalized but if you were to specifically you know take a population that let's say cur- currently mm. receives early intervention or mm. maybe the population that comes to us yeah. or yeah. similar to us th- that goes in for services what would their educational needs be and how should that be addressed <laughs> tough one tough one tricky one <laughs> i'm going to get no brownie points for this <laughs> <laughs> right yes inclusive education uh, i think is a buzzword all over the world um, also in india the right to education and right of every child no matter who he is to be in a mainstream um school setting or to be doing what his regular peer group is doing let's put it that way right and after all that is a norm every parent asks us when will my child become normal and when we ask them what do you mean when will he do things that other children his age are doing which is like playing talking going to school whatever right do you have set of um, going to school is where it critically um ends right uh, as, that's what is normal mm-hmm. uh, or seen as a shift towards normalcy so when you talk of inclusive education you're only looking at the child entering the school system what happens once he enters the school system it's all right maybe the first till he is in grade 3 grade 4 again we are talking about the average child with asd here we not looking at the extreme uh, you know end where there are children who are cognitively functioning at a very different level we took the average child he may be fine for a while um there is trouble always at some point of time the child may 
plod his way through it with some additional help with the shadow some schools don't allow a shadow resource person to be there um the child may comply or may be sitting in the classroom beautifully may not be disturbing may not disrupt others none of those things but one of the things that we need to look at is is he really learning he's spending say 4 hours 5 hours 6 hours a day of prime time sitting yeah. in a classroom with his other peers sitting appropriately at at that but is he really learning it's 6 hours of precious time does he have comprehension does he know what's going on um does he do what the others are doing even if it's with a little bit of help so if the child is not comprehending or is just sitting there and looking out of the window then that is something one the parent the teachers and the community needs to be watching out for while education in inclusive education is great if it is not achieving the goal of education in that setup then i would think where should the child go the child should go where he or she is able to learn and doesn't matter what that environment is whether it's home whether it's a special needs place or whether it's a mainstream school those are just nomenclatures all that matters is is the child learning a oh, beautiful so send your child to the space where they will actually learn learn comfortably happily not under duress beautiful you don't want a gun being held to your head oh, no. all the time oh, every no. day of your life perfect <laughs> perfect so you know even though i pretty much know your opinion on <laughs> some or at least most of these questions i don't know i personally loved how you addressed them especially the the education bit <laughs> you know um and i'm excited that we can share this with our listeners so on that note we wrap up today's episode go give us a thumbs up on spotify and apple podcast we're inching towards the top 20 global autism podcast so we could really really do with your support stay safe be well